0: As wonderful as Jane Austen's most famous novels are, she left a tantalizing store of other works, and director Whit Stillman is partnering one of them around the dance floor. His film Love and Friendship, which opens Friday, takes the Austen novella Lady Susan, which is a collection of letters, and turns it not so much into a sentimental romantic comedy, the usual Austen treatment, as a biting comedy of manners. It's a long way from Stillman's 1990s urban trilogy, capped by the last days of disco, But as with that film, Stillman also fleshes out love and friendship in book form, constructing an impassioned plea from the conniving Lady Susan's nephew to deodorize her scheming reputation, deserved though Jane Austen knows it to be. I think you're one of the bravest men I know. How come? Anyone who undertakes Jane Austen with Jane Austen's fan base, which regards everything she wrote as holy writ, you're a brave man.
1: But I'm the Ayatollah of the Jane Austen fan base. So I I want to lead the fan base, not be attacked and devoured by the fan base.
0: The original book, uh, a novella really, was uh, Lady Susan. Yes. uh, Not published until 50 years after her death. Yes. uh, Then by her nephew. Now, Love and Friendship is the title of the book you have done of this.
1: Yes. And she used this title for what I consider an insignificant um, short story um, she wrote when she was 14 or 15. And it's the story of Lady Susan Vernon and her world. The um, nephew adores his at, his lovely aunt, and writes a, a memoir of his at um, recounting the events in Jane Austen's novella from a different perspective. And he's rather scathing about the authoress. He calls her the spinster authoress.
0: Do you think that the nephew is his taken in and hoodwinked by Lady Susan as she does to most men?
1: More than anyone, he's the most hoodwinked. (laughs) And uh, I sort of was also sending up this thing when you find it in the world today, they're absolutely reprehensible people in the world today, and you find these people who manage to turn everything upside down so the reprehensible person is the victim and all these other people are the bad people. And uh, I've seen this in private life too, where it's not enough to injure people. You must insult them, too. You must sort of uh, uh, malign them and misrepresent them. And so um, there's a lot of this going on. Or in private life, the people who sort of deprive other people of inheritances and always have a good reason for doing it. And we actually find that in Sense and Sensibility, the the sister-in-law who um, persuades the elder brother not to honor his uh, promise to Eleanor and Marianne's uh, f- father to take care of them, which sets up the predicament of Sense and Sensibility, which in my mind is the, other, is the, is the great um, romantic Jane Austen uh, adaptation. The Emma Thompson, Ang Lee, Sense and Sensibility is a film I adore. Margaret, are you there? Please come down. John and Fanny will be here soon. Why are they coming to live at Norland? They already have a house in London. Because houses go from father to son, dearest, not from father to daughter. It is the law. If you come inside, we could play with your atlas. It's not my atlas anymore. It's their atlas.
0: It doesn't sound like you're making this as a romantic comedy. Comedy, yes, but the romance seems to take a back seat.
1: Yes, there are weddings, though. We promise weddings. (laughs)
0: So often, any film based on a Jane Austen work is immediately classified as a chick flick.
1: I know. And this thing I've been fighting because I see some of the distributors who are more sort of broad bore and not being specific about the film just immediately do that in default mode. And I think it sells the film short because, yes, I mean, I think definitely Jane Austen fans and and women who like other romantic stories will like this. But I think that the unique charm and interest of, of this film is the sort of British sketch comedy side that I think many guys will like. I mean, I think it's, it's sort of open to both sexes, this film. A lot of guys like Oscar Wilde plays and they like Monty Python and, and um, Ricky Gervais and, and, and comedy like that.
0: I wish to complain about this parrot what I purchased not half an hour ago from this very boutique. Oh yes, uh, the Norwegian blue. What's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's dead. That's what's wrong with it. No, no, I say It's resting, look. Look, my lad, I know a dead parrot when I see one, and I'm looking at one right now. There is one man's role that's more important in your film than it was in Austen's book.
1: Because in the course of making the film, the Sir James Martin character became very big because we had a wonderfully funny um, British actor playing him who added, you know, he sort of gave uh, flesh and the bones of the character. This reminded me of many such uh, accounts one learns in childhood. Perhaps the most significant in forming one's principles is that of the old prophet who came down from the mount with tablets bearing the 12 commandments, which our Lord has taught us to obey without fail. Twelve commandments. Mm. Excuse me, but uh, I believe there were only ten. Really? Only ten must be obeyed. Excellent! (laughs) Well
0: then, which, which two to take off? Perhaps the one about the Sabbath. I
1: prefer to hunt.
0: This was Tom...
1: Tom Bennett. And we were so thrilled with what Tom Bennett was doing. I started thinking of Tom Bennett, well, Sir James Martin scene. So there's one new Sir James Martin scene after another. I was getting up at 4 a.m. to write these scenes. And it really colored the film, and it does make it different than the Jane Austen novella.
0: You were drawn to this book a long time ago. This has been more than a dozen years in the works.
1: Yes, although I don't want it to seem like a 12 years in the salt mines, because I think the idea with this adaptation is that it was going to take a long time to sort of peel away the layers of epistolary and the layers of excellent material just to get to the terrific material. So I think it is a funny story, and particularly for people who like reading completely ludicrous footnotes, because the greatest pleasure I had were the very pompous and, and silly footnotes throughout. So if anyone likes reading footnotes, this is definitely the book for them.
0: There have been a lot of films of Jane Austen, but most of them centering on the two best-known novels, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. Is this a little outside of that realm, perhaps?
1: It's way outside, um, so it hasn't been adapted before, and it's not much read. And I only happened to discover it when I went back to reconsider North Anger Abbey, and I found it um, in the backs as a sort of append- appendix or DVD uh, deleted scenes kind of add-on. And um, it's not always very well treated by critics and commentators. But I think within it is some truly funny uh, material. When I read it, it it's as if she was channeling Oscar Wilde 80 years ahead of time. And Oscar Wilde was my my sort of first love as a young reader. And um, then I went on to love uh, Jane Austen. It's sort of wonderful, this sort of comedy coming from her. I mean, all her books are comic. Often the comic side gets dropped in the film or television adaptations. And in this case, it's a different kind of comedy. It's a sort of wicked comedy and uh, seems very Wildean. <laughs>
0: Do love Jane Austen now, but tell us about your famously bad first date with her. If we can put it that yes.
1: way. Yes. Well, I was in a very, I was a very, I was an unprepossessing um, suitor, because I was in a total funk at age 18, mid, midway through my sophomore year, about to drop out of college to go to stay with my cousins in Mexico and learn Spanish. I picked up a copy of Northanger Abbey, and read it, and didn't like it, didn't get it. And told everyone um that jane austen was terrible widely overrated how could people praise her et cetera et cetera the typical the typical thing and then um finally four or five years later i read Sens- sensibility and pride and prejudice probably my my kind elder sister recommending them again and then i went back to read northern grabby um at the end of the 90s and um, so I understood the parody. I understood what was happening in North Arabia and liked it. But what I really loved was finding uh, Lady Susan as something that was in sort of undiscovered treasure trove that I could try to mine for gems and put the gems in a film script.
0: Is this your way of atoning to Jane for that long ago dissing of her?
1: Yes, that's part, partly it. That's, that's very well put.
0: What is it about her writing that resonates now beyond that rom-com realm?
1: Well, I think her perspective is very sane and very healthy and helpful. So there are other authors I greatly admire and greatly enjoy reading their books, but they sort of make you think in bad ways, not so constructive ways. Like Fitzgerald makes you romantic, and if you get romantic, then you get depressed and discouraged. Balzac um, makes you avaricious. You want to acquire a fortune. And um, Tolstoy makes you strange in terms of theological views. And so so Jane Austen, not only is it delightfully entertaining and perceptive, but she sort of makes you a better person, I think. She's a really good character, and she transmutes She's good character. She has a very sort of profound and beautiful regard um, on the world and on characters in life and uh it's 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 entertaining and admirable at the same time.
0: Lady Susan in the book is not Eleanor in Sense and Sensibility, this sort of proper woman <laughs> who's shocked by others misdeeds. She's today would she be sort of a real housewife of the home counties? Oh yes.
1: I mean, I think she'd be someone um in, in, in Palm Beach, who is, you know, has landed her billionaire, people still do, I believe, marry for money and, and connive you know, into relationships where they're going to prosper.
0: Now, in most of Jane Austen, we think that um, virtue is rewarded and uh, cynical <laughs> misconduct is punished, but that's not the case for Lady Susan, is it?
1: No. No, that's not the case. Uh, I think reprobates don't always get their comeuppance. In in the defense of of the Lady Susan Vernon character, she's out for herself and to a lesser extent out for her family, which I don't think is that very selfless. Um, But the results she gets are all all end up quite positive.
0: In this film, you have used a couple of actresses you'd used for Last Days of Disco, Kate Beckinsale and Chloe Sevigny. Do you like to work with the same people? Yes,
1: exactly, I love that. The The, the cinema I, I particularly love is the cinema of the golden age of the studios in the 1930s. And one of the really nice things about it was the way um, teams of actors and directors and, and crew people work together again and again. Kate Beckinsale is just fantastic as uh, Lady Susan Vernon, and Chloe Sevigny is wonderful as her co-conspirator, Alicia um, Johnson. And, and you
0: make her an American, too. Yeah, I
1: do. I mean, there wasn't that much about her and her background in, um, in the novella. The, the storyline we have is that Alicia Johnson was originally Alicia Delancey of the American um, Delancey family. She's one of the um, many prosperous... Um, rather distinguished Tory exiles who who returned to London. She's an American from the Connecticut branch of the Delancey family. Although even the best-bred Americans don't sound particularly fine, there's a freshness to her manner, which I find rather tonic. Her family were treated outrageously there during the late war, punished for their very loyalty to the crown. Americans really have shown themselves to be a nation of ingrates. Only by having children can one begin to understand such a dynamic.
0: You did a novelized version as well of The Last Days of Disco, and now you have this one. Is that sort of a future for filmmaking, that you have companion pieces for people to read?
1: I hope it's not a trend. I hope it can be sort of our unique thing, our our unique folly.
0: Jane Austen seems second only to Shakespeare as a literary engine and an economic engine. I think there's a Jane Austen reality camp. There's Jane Austen merchandise. She only seems to be getting more and more popular.
1: Well, I think a lot of us who who love her her books hate all that a little bit. I mean, I didn't see that film about the sort of Austin land or whatever it was. But maybe it was very good. But um, just that whole idea of exploiting her that way, I don't really like at all. And I think it sort of cheapens things and distracts from what the real attraction is. But I think it's a bit worrisome when something becomes you know, an amusement park ride.
0: If you were to make this as a contemporary film, this would be a bed-hopping R-rated movie.
1: But Oh, heaven oh. forfend. <laughs> I'm so proud of my PG rating. It's my first PG rating, and I'm really happy to get it. You did clutch <laughs> and, your
0: heart when I mentioned an R rating. Yes.
1: I had an experience with an R rating. Um, I very foolishly put in scandalous images that weren't very important in our film. The Last Days of Disco, um, because everyone told me about all the scandalous things that went on in those days, although I never saw it, to be honest. I never saw the scandalous things. And um, I saw that my daughter's young friends were not allowed to go see it because it was R-rated, and our film was really directed at 15 year old girls to give them you know good advice about what not to do socially and so it pained me to have the r rating and have it limit the audience that way
0: will your name appear side by side with jane austen's on the cover of love and friendship
1: here we have it um, so my name is rather small which is good and so it says um it has my name it says love and friendship in which Jane Austen's Lady Susan Vernon is entirely vindicated.
0: Your name and Jane Austen's on the same book cover. Isn't that a bit of a thrill of immortality?
1: No, I don't think so at all. (laughs) I know her name is immortal, but I don't think mine is.
0: Whit Stillman, thank you so much for being here. Thanks very much. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered and edited by Todd G. Levin. The film's music is composed by Mark Suozzo. The video moments are from roadside attractions Love & Friendship, from Columbia Pictures Sense & Sensibility, and from Monty Python's Flying Circus. I am Pat Morrison.